Welcome to the Mindstream Podcast, exploring the facts and the stories around mind-body-spirit pathways to greater health and happiness. I'm your host, Liza Haran. Welcome to episode four of the Mindstream Podcast, where we take a look at the mind-body-spirit wellness scene on the local, national, and international levels. This jam-packed episode features highlights of my interviews with people leading the charge from natural, holistic health to overall well-being and even the more mystical aspect. We start right here in Edinburgh with Katie Lomas of Calm on Canning Street Yoga and to Angela Robertson of the Edinburgh Wellbeing Festival. Then we move beyond the city walls to Adrian Boiteau of Holistic Ways Festival. To find out what's happening in Scotland, I spoke with Linda Hamilton Parker of Holistic Scotland Magazine, and we look at the national and even international level with Lauren Arms, the founder of London-based Well-To-Do Global. While each of them are focused on one angle of mind-body-spirit wellness, There is much overlap, and our conversations uncover the connections, the common themes, the trends that took hold in 2019, and give us a glimpse of what's ahead in 2020. CBD and personalized nutrition are among them. We'll also get insight into their own practices for staying grounded and connected for their own health and happiness. Before we hear from some of the people working in the wellness industry in the UK, let's take a look at the numbers. The £3.2 trillion global wellness economy has been growing twice as fast as the global economy. That's a bit staggering. And the closest thing to mind-body-spirit in that assessment is the fitness-slash-mind-body sector. And that comprises $456 billion of that £3.2 trillion valuation. That's according to the Global Wellness Institute's 2018 Economy Monitor, which is the most recent report. Now let's look at the UK market. The wellness market is estimated at 7 billion. Digging a little deeper, the alternative medicine market will grow a billion pounds from 2015 to 2020. The yoga and Pilates sector is estimated to jump from 760 million pounds in 2015 to 890 million pounds in 2020. So that's 130 million pound growth to 2020 in a pretty established sector of the UK market. There's more than 4,200 businesses in yoga and Pilates today in the UK, and they employ more than 16,000 workers. So it's a growing workforce as well. A fascinating fact that my research turned up showed that general book sales decreased 1.6% in 2017, but the mind-body-spirit sector increased sales over 13%. That shows where people's interests lie. So the global wellness economy is growing twice as fast as the global economy. And while book sales are down, mind-body-spirit books are up over 13%. This shows there is a movement underway globally and in the UK. 
So now let's turn to the leaders here in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and the UK, and hear what trends they're seeing. Before we get started, I'd just like to clarify that Mindstream is an editorial operation. My background is journalism, and no one has paid for their interview spot today, so it's completely objective. Let's begin on a hyperlocal basis now with Katie Lomas, the founder of Calm on Canning Street, a yoga studio in the West End of Edinburgh. It's more than a yoga studio, though, as there are classes, workshops, private practitioner spaces, and a vibrant community of down-to-earth yet inspiring people. I met with Katie during a bustling day of the inaugural Wellbeing in the West End event last January. She collaborated with other like-minded businesses for the weekend program, featuring taster sessions on all sorts of modalities like Reiki, massage, aromatherapy, nutrition, and much more across a variety of venues, all within walking distance to each other. Katie, tell me about the mind-body-spirit scene in the West End of Edinburgh. Yeah, it's absolutely thriving. Um, I think, especially in the last year, so many things popped up. And it's just really promising to see so many different businesses, you know, so many different studios, so many different well-being practitioners, basically, setting up businesses here. And lots of new spaces as well. So self-employed practitioners are finding little rooms where they can rent. Mm. And that's why it's also growing, I think, because people aren't having to hire a whole studio or, or big space. They can hire rooms. And mm. so it just seems like people are flocking here now, which is brilliant. What do you see as indicators of growth? I think even when you look around at the number of vegan and vegetarian restaurants popping up. So when I first moved, even a a year ago, so I've been in Edinburgh since last September. So even since I've been here, there's been so many new vegan and vegetarian cafes popping up, Mm. getting much more popular. There's events um, like the Vegan Festival and the Vegan Food Festival. The amount of yoga studios popping up, you know, since I've opened... Within the same three months, there was another two or three that opened at exactly the same time as we did. It just shows there's a real appetite for it. People are craving something to help them restore, to replenish. They're really craving to press pause, you know, to find space, to really to, to find a sense of stillness, to find a sense of peace amongst their busy lives. You know, stress, depression, anxiety is on the rise. And so people are desperately trying to find ways to mitigate that, which don't include medication. They want to find more holistic ways to, to um, manage all the mental health illnesses that people are facing, which come with busy lives, our diets, our stressful jobs the pressures of having a family, the pressures of trying to kind of multitask. You know, people are really trying to find new ways to manage it. And it's proven, you know, yoga and meditation are proven ways to manage so many different ailments, illnesses, and to find that sense of connection within yourself and um, that sense of community around you as well. That's the other thing that yoga provides. And this this is why, you know, our studio is doing so well, is because people come and make friends with each other and find a sense of support and companionship and they can... They can just unload their troubles. What we love and what seems to be doing so well are things like the Women's Circle. It's basically every month and they also have a theme, so it could be gratitude or forgiveness mm. or strength or fear or stepping into your power, your light. Great. Um, and it's it's always fully booked every single month. Oh. It's embodied movement, so we kind of do a bit of yoga, some gentle movement, mm. and then guided meditation. We do angel card readings oh. and sharing. 
It's incredible. Yeah. Three hours long, and they just oh. fly by. You wow. think it's, it sounds like it's a long time, but you'd be. It's three hours goes so quickly for the women's circle, oh, doesn't it? Oh, my God, yeah. You're kind of like... Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it actually runs over, and you're like, yeah, what? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Uh-huh. You can't believe three hours have gone. Yeah. It never feels like, like That's that. That's great. There's lots of opportunities to share, and you don't have to okay. share, but... People tend to, don't they? People tend to yeah. speak and we listen to each other and we hear each other and then it all resonates. Everything that everybody says, we can all relate to. So mm. we're all there just being like, yeah, I've felt that or I've done that or I've been there or I've moved through that challenge. So that is great. It's just feel, it just feels really powerful. reassuring and really powerful mm. that you come away really inspired and really connected and like you just feel really connected to womanhood. Do you believe mind, body, and spirit are connected? Absolutely. They're interconnected, 100%. And although sometimes it feels like the mind is, you know, moving away from the body and the mind wants to think a certain way and then you're led by the heart and it all feels disconnected, things like yoga bring it all back together. You get meditation, you get that access to your kind of inner source. So when all the mind is being all uh, fractured and chattering and um, you kind of feel a sense of overwhelm, when you move into meditation and yoga and you use them as tools to access that kind of inner knowing, that intuition, where you give yourself your inner, inner voice a chance to actually speak, where you can actually have a time to recognize what is your mind saying, what is your heart saying, and actually where's the truth, you know, where does the truth lie. They can feel obviously separate a lot of the time, but there's that sense of connection within the spirit, I guess. The spirit's a thing that connects everything together. So yeah, I think definitely connected, 100%. Great, thank you. I heard a great quote that really sticks in my mind. It says, praying is talking to the universe yes. and meditating is listening. listening. I read that or heard oh, that somewhere and yeah. I love that too. Yeah. Yes. So when you say, you know, what does my mind think? What does my heart think? And where's the truth? Like, wow, that's another great quote I'm going to remember. <laughs> yeah, so. it's, it's- it's interesting, but you need to get access to that inner voice, and you can't do it in normal life. You know, there's no space. Like, how do you cultivate the space where your voice can speak? That mm-hmm. is so difficult in yeah. everyday life. So we have to cultivate that time where we can come back to our kind of essence, our inner self, our, our real self, our true source. Yeah. Um, and all these practices are amazing for doing that. Thank you very much, Katie. Well-being in the West End runs again the 11th and 12th of January 2020, and tickets are on sale right now. Just search Well-being in the West End on Eventbrite or Facebook, and you'll find all the details. Next, let's turn to Angela Robertson of the Edinburgh Well-Being Festival. I spoke to her last January during the festival, and it's happening again the 1st and 2nd of February at the Assembly Rooms on George Street. You can head to EdinburghWellbeingFestival.com for details on the talks, marketplace, and classes happening there. I spoke to Angela Robertson and was very interested to hear how she and her business partner, Jazz Lacey Campbell, through Good Thinking, their firm, partnered with the Edinburgh City Council to bring the Edinburgh Wellbeing Festival to life. Can you share the inspiration behind the Edinburgh Wellbeing Festival and how it came to be? It began as an idea which my colleague and I, Jazz, had around creating an event around the authors that we had worked with. Our background is book publishing. We worked with a lot of very good authors around mental health and psychology 
and neuroscience, as well as general well-being and food. It's something that we were very interested in personally. We've both got um, members of family who have mental health issues. Um, my sister's bipolar, so I've grown up all my life around, you know, understanding about mental health, maybe more than a lot of other people have. So something very personal to me. And we decided that we thought it would be, maybe there would be an audience for people to come and hear speakers talking about well-being in a, in a, a much more kind of holistic sense. So bringing together the four pillars of health. Can you describe the four pillars? What you eat movement, rest, and purpose. It's not just one side, it's about mental and physical health and everything that comes around that. Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, who's on today, he had a book out last year called The Four Pillars of Health. And this year, there's one about stress. And again, it's a four pillar principle. And that's something that I've come across quite a lot, actually, um, that the fact that nothing works in isolation and everything works together. So if you eat all the right things, but you don't move, then that's not good. If you're living your life where you're, you know, you're eating right, you're moving right, you're doing all the right things but you're you're not kind of satisfied within yourself then that's not going to work either and I think that's something that we adhere to in the festival we want to make sure that we cover all those areas so that people get a chance to explore each one of them for themselves and realize how they all work together and obviously the appetite was there we've been to things in London we know there's a lot happening around that and we wondered whether we'd be an audience in Scotland for it we knew that there was a lot of people doing a lot of great things up here. Uh, obviously, yoga has really taken off a lot. There was more and more vegan restaurants opening up. There's a lot of people doing life coaching. And we just thought, wouldn't it be great to bring all these people together? Everyone's doing everything kind of separately. And we wanted to bring it together. Can you tell us about the audience for the festival? Last year, it was a, obviously a huge experiment. We didn't know who the audience was going to be. And we wondered if it was going to be the kind of the lycra clad sort of young Instagram followers or, you know, who, who the audience would be. And, and actually, I thought there'd be more of those, but it was very mixed, which was really good to see. And I think that's the one big learning that we've had is that it's actually across all ages. You know, you get people who are just really into yoga, who want to do the classes, and you do get the younger people who are now much more into well-being than when I was young. <laughs> so that's really encouraging. And then you also got people who are older who just want to know more about their health and look after themselves more. And the other encouraging thing is it's across the demographic as well. We wondered whether, well, is it too expensive for everybody to come? You know, how do we make it work financially? It's very expensive to put on. But actually, we have found that through working with charities as well, that across all kind of like uh, backgrounds, people are really interested in the subject. You know, for instance, there's like, I've got lots of people that I know personally and family members who would not normally come to something like this because they think, oh, we, we, oh, it's not for them. It's for other people. I think that is kind of being eroded away. I think the conversations that everyone's having about mental health now, they're much more willing to give it a go, to get involved. Uh, particularly the younger people, obviously. I think um, barriers have been broken down a bit, which is great. Well-being and wellness cover a large swath today. What would you say your angle or approach is with the Edinburgh Wellbeing Festival? For us, holistic doesn't mean, it doesn't mean crystals. It doesn't mean things in that sense. Most of the things that we 
believe in our evidence-based, have a scientific background, or at least people are qualified in their areas. We're not promising people something that they're searching for. This is all based in fact. So that was really important for us. So in the marketplace, we have, we have a lot of people who apply to do talks or to exhibit in the marketplace. But if, if it's something that we don't really th- believe in, then we won't put it on. And not everything has to have, you know, scientific background. You know, there's things like Ayurvedic um, medicine and things like that. A lot of people believe in that's it, the kind of thing that we, we would be okay with. But, you know, we're, we're not okay with, um, People that kind of promise cures for things. For us, it's it's really about bringing it out of that kind of tarot reading, crystals type kind of festivals that go on. That that's that's fine if that's that people are into that. But this is more about actual facts and experts and doctors as alongside holistic practitioners as well. Are you a skeptic? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a skeptic, really. I'm actually quite open-minded. I've had lots of experiences that I can't explain. (laughs) But that's my personal thing. I wouldn't try and put that on other people because I believe that 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 isn't the right thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I've had like, when I was younger, I had out-of-body experiences (laughs) where I would feel myself go up to the ceiling. I didn't know what that was because I didn't, I hadn't heard of such a thing. But I had these experiences and I thought, what? what's going on there it was really terrifying I've had lots of things like that but I had I looked into it and you know I mean all I can say is this happened to me but I don't know how to explain it I would only have someone talking about something like that as a kind of interesting phenomenon but not as something that you know you want to sort of particularly pursue fair enough Can you shed light on the relationship with the Edinburgh City Council? They've invested, so there's a recognition that it's something that they want to offer the city. And it is something that we want to look at how we develop this and also make it accessible for people that, you know, need it the most. So we've partnered with um, SAMH, which is the Scottish Association of Mental Health. And also we have people from Street Fit Scotland here and the Sirenians, who are charity who work with homeless people and people with mental health issues. For both us and the council, that's really important that we reached those people so what we're doing next is we're looking at how we might be able to work with these people in the future and connect to charities so we are still very much learning but both sides are invested in it what does the future of the festival look like I think it's just a really good chance for the city to get more connected and I think that's what we would like to do. We'd like to try out a few more things throughout the year, do some partnerships, work with different groups and kind of really for us it is about connecting everybody together because there's so many good things going on. It's nice to have a sort of hub to work with these people. So that's how we see, I think, the future. Thank you, Angela. Mark your diary for the 1st and 2nd of February as the Edinburgh Wellbeing Festival features tons of speakers and exhibitors and classes, including Olympic gold medalist Kelly Holmes, the award-winning cookery writer Jack Monroe, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee with the BBC, and Mother and Papa Puka, you might know from Instagram. You can find all the details on edinburghwellbeingfestival.com. At the other end of the spectrum, I caught up with Adrian Boiteau, whose Holistic Ways Festival brings together enthusiasts around the more experiential modalities 
of energy healing, sound therapy, and intuitive communication. Crystals feature largely at these events, too, and Adrian carries on the decades-long family business Lotus Crystals. There are seven to eight Holistic Ways festivals held per year with live music performances, exhibitor stands of mini treatments, intuitive readings, as well as items for sale from mind-body-spirit retailers. I've been to the Holistic Ways Festival in Glasgow and Edinburgh, but they also run in Aberdeen and Dumfries, and they're looking to expand beyond these cities. Hi, Adrian. Thank you for being on the Mindstream podcast. Can you tell us what's happening with Holistic Ways Festival and what sets apart from other events? The events are starting to grow feet People are starting to hear about the events and when they come to our events and they see that it's all about sound and colour and mood and it's different to your standard one. And it's also about creating a space for new up-and-coming businesses, people who are trying to break in, haven't had the opportunity to be able to have that talk space or that stall space. And that's what Holistic Ways is about. It's not necessarily having all those mainstream options available it's about having the smaller people the people who require that space to be able to sell their wares or do their therapies and stuff like that that's to us that's what it's all about it's giving people a platform and the opportunity to be able to move forward with their passion and their dreams and get away from the rat race a little bit so lotus crystals was the family business and it expanded into holistic ways can you tell us a bit about that so I was very much brought up with it, and so the Lotus Crystals aspect of it started back in 1994, where my mother and father started running crystal house parties. So you're basically taking loads of crystals to, to houses and having a party and telling people and about their so-called benefits and uh, the, the geological side of it, you know, obviously the spiritual side and the healing side of it as well, which some people obviously are a great believer in. I used to call her the wise white witch. She was a very spiritual person, very holistic mind, very pagan, I suppose. And during my upbringing, I used to sit in gatherings of like-minded people. We used to go on ghost hunts, used to go to old castles where my mom would take groups of people and old buildings and go ghost hunting and all that sort of thing. My mom was, you know, a Reiki master. She was um, a tarot reader. She tried many different aspects. My father was a hypnotherapist among event organizing as well so that's when it all started and from there I was just I, it was just a part of my life hearing crazy stories from my mum thinking she was you know wired to a different planet sometimes but then as, as you gain older in life and you actually look into some of the things that she was speaking about she couldn't have been any more spot on about a lot of things that she spoke about so it was very much uh, it was a way of life I suppose in some respects it's a very grey area as to, you know, the, the scientifically, has this been scientifically proven to do X or to do Y? I do not sell crystals or give people advice on that side of things because it is such a grey area. What I will say is that I personally believe, and I know people who believe, and I know that it is written that, and I know that it is said that, crystals would do x y and z and i think that you know if that's just planting a seed in the mind and that then benefits you what's wrong with that there's nothing wrong it's all about making your mind body and spirit a lot happier than it is and, and if that's saying a stone in this hand is going to make me happier and you believe that and it does that 
then I suppose if it's a placebo in some respects, then so be it. I do believe that, you know, crystals, you know, uh, especially quartz, the way that quartz oscillates and frequencies and all the rest of it and how it's been used in ancient times and all this, they can't be wrong. In my eyes, personally, but, you know, it, it's, it's that day and age which frustrates me sometimes is that you have to be careful what you say. But, you know, the way that I always put it across is that, that I believe. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, I hear some far out things and I think, nah. But there's, there's other things that you do. And, and it's like, and crystals has just been one of these things that I've been brought up with for a long time. I carry crystals around in my car. You mentioned that you've been approached by skeptic groups before. Can you expand on that? We have had, you know, skeptic people come on and I welcome them. I've even said to them, would you like a stall? I feel that everybody should have the chance to say what their beliefs are. What annoys me about it is the way that they troll and the way that they can hound people, especially how these groups are set up. But I'm very much a strong believer that everybody has their own views in life. Everybody. And I'm not going to say, well, I'm against you believing that. If that's what you believe, then that's what you believe. And I'm nobody to tell you not to believe that way. So it's the same with the skeptics. You know, if they are skeptical about something, I welcome them along to go and ask questions to the exhibitors and go and have that conversation. You know, the skeptics people wrote a piece on our event and they actually said that the value for money of the event was very good. However, you needed to be wired to a cuckoo clock. Ouch. That's their, that's their opinion. But, you know, if people are coming along for the readers and all the rest of it, we advertise that it's for entertainment purposes only and you must seek professional advice in the first instance always go to your doctor if you're concerned about this because these are these are complementary you know these are not alternative uh, and there are alternative therapies out there for lots of different things we tick all the boxes as far as that's concerned adrian what trends do you see so it used to be more about mind, body, and spirit, which was more about crystals and intuitives and, and Reiki. But now it's more about health and well-being. And I suppose Holistic Ways is, is changing with it. I don't want to go completely in the direction of health and well-being. I feel that it's all connected. It's all about the mind, body, and spirit being healthy and your well-being from that. But I feel that people more so now are looking for the therapeutic side, going for massages or, or going to see aromatherapists, how you can look after yourself better. And it's going very much down the road of sustainability. It's going down the road of ethical. And people say, okay, I'm using a cream. Where did this, where did the stuff from that cream come from? How is it made? What chemicals are in it? Is it completely natural? Is it vegan friendly? For instance, try my utmost to ethically source everything that I get. And the, the things that I am buying are ethically sourced. And the fact that people who are putting in the hard work and the legwork to make that product are actually getting something in return. People are very much about that now. The ethically sourced side of things, um, the natural, the chemical freeness. And even from, you know, we have uh, people coming along with chemical free cleaning products. And people are saying, wow, you've got people selling cleaning products. Well, yeah, why not? Because at the end of the day, it's about your health in the house and you're using things that do not have any chemicals in it so your kids and your animals and you are not breathing that rubbish in for instance the food that i put on at the events you know is vegetarian and, and vegan 
when I put out a survey to find out what people wanted, that's what they wanted. So it is going down that very much healthy options, healthy eating. I, I like creating something that benefits everyone. That's what, at the end of the day, puts a smile on my face, is making sure that the visitors that come through the door are happy, that the exhibitors are happy, and it is just about creating that space that makes everybody that's in it happy and feel good and leave the place going, ah, feel good, good vibes. You know, leaving here today, I will go away happy because it's been one of the busiest events. I've had beautiful feedback from people coming up, leaving the event saying, thank you so much for putting this on. I'm glad we found you now. We'll be back again. And just those little, it's those little pieces of saying of people coming up going this is this is different this is something nice this is something refreshing the next holistic ways festival takes place at the edinburgh corn exchange on the first of march tickets are available at holisticwayesfestival.co.uk we just covered a pretty wide range within the mind body spirit scope of wellness hearing about yoga meditation science-based modalities and even the more mysterious aspects. Now, I'm very happy to welcome Linda Hamilton Parker, the founder of Holistic Scotland magazine, to the Mindstream podcast. I hope you've picked up a free copy of Holistic Scotland from a local retailer like Jan de Vries or Maggie's Cancer Care Centers or an event like the Edinburgh Wellbeing Festival. If not, you can head to holisticscotland.com to find a location near you or you can get a free copy of this quarterly publication by signing up for a subscription. All you pay for is the sustainable packaging and the postage. Welcome to the Mindstream podcast, Linda. Can you begin by telling us about Holistic Scotland? Holistic Scotland is Scotland's free natural health and well-being magazine. Within that, we cover natural health, things like mindfulness, complementary therapies, clean beauty, eco-living and the great outdoors. So when we talk about holistic, we don't mean, oh, go and throw all your pills in the bin. You know, if you need those pills for a medical condition and they're working for you, then that absolutely has to be part of your healthcare regime. And holistic just means looking at the bigger picture. So while you're taking the pills for whatever condition you have, it's also about nourishing your mind and the rest of your body to promote healing and ensure your ongoing well-being. And who is your audience? I would say our audience is primarily women, although we do have a growing number of male subscribers. And Holistic Scotland really is for everyone. It's for people of all ages, all backgrounds, both men and women, anybody who wants to take more responsibility for their own health. Can you expand on this eco-lifestyle or eco-living concept? So within the magazine, we cover various environmentally friendly things that you can do also to, to do your bit, you know, whether it's a, a feature on beeswax wraps as an alternative to cling film or how to reduce food waste or that kind of thing. We know that our readers are passionate about more sustainable living. They are looking to reduce packaging on the products that they buy. It seems like a natural fit. You know, when our readers are concerned about the chemicals that they're putting either into their bodies or onto their skin, they're also conscious of what they're putting back out into the environment as well. It feels like there's a movement underway. 
an expansion of awareness and consciousness that actually moves into accountability, ethics, and morality. Would you say those things go hand in hand? Yes, definitely. And I think that practices like mindfulness, media are talking more about self-care now and things like that, they go hand in hand. It is very much about taking ownership of your own body and also your part in this, this wider ecosystem, your part on this planet Earth and how you can make a difference. Everything we do, we try and be as ethical as possible. It's quite important to us that we are not contributing to any plastic pollution and that all our magazines are sent out in sustainable packaging. And what's great about Holistic Scotland magazine is that we're unearthing all these people and these companies with great ethics and values. And there's a a great growing community in Scotland and an appetite for this. It can be easy to think that the world is a really negative place when you surround yourself by negativity and mainstream media is covering all the doom and gloom and things like that. But Holistic Scotland's a real feel-good read and it brings together all the elements of exactly that, taking responsibility for yourself, for your health, for other people, for the planet. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like morality's making a comeback. Can you shed some light on the market in Scotland right now? In Scotland, the health and wellness market is huge. It's it's grown at a tremendous rate. Worldwide, the wellness industry is thought to be worth more than $4 trillion. It's actually grown at nearly twice as fast the rate of the global economy as more and more people spend money on health classes, treatments and retreats. In Scotland, it's quite an untapped market. Down in London, for example, um, we have quite a few magazines, uh, big glossies covering things like natural health. And within that, there are a lot of companies striving for a space in the green marketplace and clean beauty and things like that. But this is something that's just really coming to the fore now in Scotland. How did you come to found Holistic Scotland? My background is in PR. And when I worked with companies doing some of these great things, I found that there there wasn't really an avenue to tell these stories because mainstream media at that time perhaps saw things like holistic therapies as a wee bit new age still, even though they've been around since, some of them since the dawn of time. But I felt there was no magazine dedicated to sharing these stories for people who were interested in natural health and taking responsibility for these kinds of things to to find out you know where to go to or where to find others with who share the same mindset and things like that some of the other media outlets were maybe a bit skeptical about these kinds of things saw them as a bit airy fairy but now more and more of the large media players are starting to take notice and it's becoming more mainstream now. It's no longer alternative health. It's becoming the norm. It's an industry that's set to grow. It has to. I mean, health isn't going anywhere. We have to look after ourselves. That's that's the bottom line. Do you have some examples of some therapies that have moved from the fringe to the mainstream? What have you seen? 
I suppose things like herbal remedies used to be quite an unusual thing for someone to take. Traditionally, we would go to our doctors, they would write us a prescription for something, which would nine times out of ten be pharmaceutical prescription drugs. But these days, we're seeing more and more plant-based remedies popping up in the likes of Boots and Superdrug. So they are in the larger stores and supermarkets. We're no longer having to hunt them down online or, you know, it used to just be Holland and Barrett maybe or your independent health store that would have these kinds of things but now we're seeing them everywhere even gyms yoga studios and things like that are starting to stock some of these things things like flower remedies and things in the past have have been seen as a wee bit sort of hippie but as more and more evidence and research comes to light actually which proves that that they're worth if you like then that's you know bigger companies are 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 looking to get involved and, and take a share of this market How entrenched is herbalism in traditional medicine today? In the U.S., it seems very much a fringe aspect, but I understand that in the U.K., herbalism has been more integrated with traditional medicine here. I think it's a mixed bag. There are some doctors who will, and there are some who kind of still will poo-poo the idea kind of thing. There is actually a one sort of holistic hospital in Scotland. Um, It's the Centre for Integrative Care. It's at Gartnaval Hospital in Glasgow. And you can actually ask your doctor to be referred there for treatments that can help you manage your condition, whether that's things like acupuncture for to help manage pain or relaxation. But not a lot of people know about it because GPs aren't actively referring people or letting them know that they can be referred there. So I think it depends on your GP. I think some some GPs are more open-minded than others. It really feels like we're back to the future here. <laughs> One of the Greek philosophers said, food is medicine. Yeah, so all these things aren't new. It's just that we are rediscovering them or just looking for something. I think maybe what we were doing wasn't working. Things like sound therapy. I mean, people are really just sitting up and taking notice of that now. Things like sound healing, sound baths, different instruments that create different vibrations which have healing properties. This isn't a new thing. It's been around since, you know, caveman days. Aborigines used didgeridoos to heal. You know, we've had chanting in temples, which is a form of sound therapy. And if somebody goes searching for that kind of thing, very soon in their search, they would see shamanic healing, or they would see a retreat that has a shaman, for example. Do you feel this whole shamanic aspect, for example, is still in the shadows or do you think it's emerging? Do you think there's a taboo around that? What's your take? It's certainly becoming something that's more popular. I think that people who perhaps were a bit frightened about what shamanic meant are finding it more accessible now that there are things you can go to like workshops. Shamanic drumming circles are becoming really popular and there are courses in shamanism and things like that. But yes, I think there is still an element of taboo and it's down to people's different beliefs and things and, and, and that's fair enough. But with magazines like Holistic Scotland, it at least gives people a platform to talk about and to read about these kinds of things, to decide whether or not it's for them. I suppose we're bringing to light the things that, you know, you can't read about in the daily record and, and things like that, unless it's super quirky. 
Is there any therapy product or practice that's come along that has really surprised you? I think the rise of CBD and its use in this country has really fascinated me. Again, it's something that's been around for years. Researching it and speaking to experts, looking at the evidence and trying it for myself as part of the journey with Holistic Scotland magazine, that has been a real eye-opener into the endocannabinoid system. And I think I've discovered parts of my body I didn't know existed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from um, from these receptors that we all have to even, you know, people are talking about the vagus nerve a bit more, um, the psoas, all these things come into play. And these are all things that we can help to nurture with the likes of CBD. CBD isn't the only oil to contain these properties that can help us. It can be found in things like black pepper and, you know, umpteen different things. But I think the people who are out there championing CBD are educating us on how the body works. And as I say, these these receptors and how we can top up our bodies with supplements, um, which can help to, you know, relieve pain and anxiety and things like that. It's something that unless you try it for yourself, it's difficult to to understand its benefits. And there's still a lot of misconceptions and confusion, I think, about it. We've been exploring this with various companies in Scotland, um, telling their stories about what led them to diversify into the CBD market, which is currently huge. And there's a personal story behind each of them. Each of them are people who had their own long-term chronic conditions. Nothing was working for them. And of course, trying CBD as a last resort, and it really worked for them so much so that they're now keen to help other people access and, and benefit from this. I myself, I had some nerve pain that I couldn't get rid of. Normal painkillers just didn't touch it. And I was in agony. I could hardly sleep for the pain. And my doctor told me that there isn't really a lot you can do about it. It might flare up and, you know, go away and, and things like this. So I tried some CBD. Um, the first day I, it didn't really make much difference, but by day three, I was completely pain free for the first time in months. So that's my own personal experience with it. And I'm just amazed that this little bottle of, of oil that comes from a plant can have so many healing properties. That's great. I mean, it's so exciting to think there's a frontier out there yet to be discovered, or as you say, rediscovered for our health and well-being. Now, switching gears a little bit, I'd like to ask you about how Holistic Scotland manages the legitimacy of certain practices, the areas of complementary, alternative, natural health, and some of these spiritual healing disciplines fall outside of regulated industries. Now, the CNHC, the Complementary and Natural Healthcare Council, is devoted to consumer protection and holds a register of professionals that meet their standards. But can you talk about how you manage this at Holistic Scotland magazine, please? We have to be very careful that that what we are featuring is, you know, beneficial for people to read about. You know, it's in the public interest. It's is credible. We only work with people who are, you know, who we've kind of checked out and as I say, there's evidence to back up what they're saying or or they've got the necessary qualifications. 
But not everyone does, and everyone can claim to be a something, a psychic, a, a herbalist when they're not. So we check these things out very carefully, so that by the time you come to read the magazine, you don't have to worry. That's all been that's all been taken care of for you. The same with our products. We check every product that we mention, um, feature, recommend for its ingredients. We have a, a bad list of nasty things like sulfates and parabens that we avoid. Same with food. Yeah, so everything is, is very carefully considered and, and put together. Besides CBD for nerve pain, would you be willing to share some tips that you rely on for a holistic lifestyle? I couldn't live without water. <laughs> that seems like a no-brainer, but lots of people don't drink enough water. So if I was to give any kind of health tip, it would be make sure you drink lots of water. It really does help in so many ways. Get enough sleep. Not getting enough sleep has a major impact on your mind and body. It's one of the easiest and most effective things we can do to keep ourselves healthy. And your body does lots of repair work and processing when you're sleeping. So that's that's crucial. And then the last thing that I couldn't live without is it's a close call between yoga and vitamin D. <laughs> I swear by vitamin D supplements. Everyone talks about vitamin C for boosting the immune system, but taking vitamin D has can have a similar effect. And I find that since I've been taking a supplement, I have had fewer colds and I haven't been poorly at all. And of course, it helps our bodies in so many ways. But for relaxation, yoga is is super good. The key is to find a class that you really like, an instructor that you really like. And of course, the type of yoga that's right for you. I do Zen yoga by candlelight. Now that sounds relaxing. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Mindstream podcast, Linda. For more on the holistic scene in Scotland, you can go to holisticscotland.com, pick up a free copy of the magazine, and starting the 7th of January, you can tune into the Holistic Scotland show on Wellbeing Radio. Their show will take place 8 to 9 every evening, and Wellbeing Radio is a 24-hour-a-day program devoted to health and wellness. There's lots happening in Edinburgh and across Scotland, as you've heard, but now let's expand a bit to the whole of the UK and even beyond as we hear from Lauren Arms, the founder of Well-To-Do Global, which is based in London. Lauren Arms has built a business over the last few years of offering content, events, and advisory services around the wellness industry. I attended the Well-To-Do Summit this past summer, and it was a full day of talks, networking, and product sampling with those who are either into wellness or work in the industry. Some of the speakers and exhibitors included leaders from Brood Health, PUCA, ClassPass, Perkbox, Headspace, Deliveroo, For Nutrition, Mind Body, the list goes on. And I will add that it was the best goodie bag I've ever gotten at any conference anywhere. It was really great. The Well to Do Summit 2020 is coming in June. You can find out about that at welltodoglobal.com. Lauren, welcome to the Mindstream Podcast. Can you tell us about Well to Do Global? where you are today and what you offer. 
our mission is fundamentally just to help people who are building brands in the wellness industry to innovate and to grow and ultimately to be leaders in the industry category in which they operate. And I guess our secondary mission to that is helping people who perhaps are not quite ready to take that leap and start a business in the wellness industry, but instead are passionate about working for a brand that has, you know, a deeper set of values and that align with their own personal values and mission and so want to make that career transition and perhaps find a job in the wellness industry. We're definitely growing and I think that's in response to the fact that the wellness industry is such a captivating industry right now as we enter a chapter in our history of people feeling more stressed than ever before, more digitally distracted than ever before, more affected by lifestyle disease and and disorders than ever before and that mental health is becoming a, a really prime topic of conversation that well-being uh, ultimately plays into supporting and preventing in the long term for people. So it's a really exciting space to be in. Can you comment on the state of the wellness industry in London and the UK compared to global trends? I think that when I first started Well to Do, it was quite common to hear that, you know, London was 10 years behind New York. And then within a year, it was sort of London is five years behind New York. And I think more or less now, uh, if you were to look at the, the key categories of wellness, be it fitness, food and drink, nutrition, technology, and let's say workplace wellness or beauty, that really anything that's accessible in the US is now accessible in one form or another in the UK. And I think social media has driven the rate of growth and acceleration of that process. Social media gives us a bird's eye view of a category and speeds up the process of which brands replicate that. So, you know, the success of Soul Cycle in the US, for example, was very quickly replicated here by a number of different brands in the boutique spinning space. Mm-hmm. The success of beverage brands like Hint Water in the US, which is a, a juice flavored water product, were quickly replicated in the UK. And so I can say without a shadow of a doubt that really anything that you desire as part of supporting a wellness lifestyle that is available in the US, which is sort of the leading market for this, is now readily available as far as products and services go. I suppose as far as the consumer thinking is concerned, I think there are definitely some markets globally that are more aware of the less individualistic approach to well-being and the more collective approach, which is people are starting to think more about not just themselves in the wellness ecosystem, but also the planet and our biological ecosystem when it comes to animals and plants and the impact of consumer behavior on the environment itself with respect to climate change and the climate crisis that we're ultimately facing. So I think that London is sometimes caught up in in a little bit of a bubble when it comes to wellness, but I think that there is definitely a community of people driving thinking beyond the individualistic approach to wellness, which I think is good, and I think that that will continue to be a prevalent conversation. Can you tell us how you came to found Well2Do Global? found myself very quickly working for a number of different companies in London and not necessarily feeling that deeper sense of fulfillment that I was craving. At that time, I was not 
pursuing or even thinking about pursuing um, entrepreneurship. In fact, I'd never thought of myself as being a business owner. Uh, However, I was becoming increasingly aware that I was looking at my company director in those businesses and and ultimately not finding myself aspiring to be them in 10, 15 years time. And so I suppose when you feel that deeper dissatisfaction in your career, something starts to shift and you start to ponder that question, what am I meant to be doing? And I knew that there was a voice within me that was saying you're meant for something more than this. So I suppose at that point, it's quite common to start thinking, well, what am I really passionate about? And for me, the two things that I ultimately landed on, and this is over a period of kind of six to 12 months of researching and reading and thinking and journaling and meditating on this question, those two things for me were wellness and entrepreneurship. So I was fascinated by how people start with an idea and turn it into a successful business. And I'd always been interested in that. And I was fascinated by this burgeoning category of wellness businesses um, or just of wellness generally that was really having an effect on the city of London. Saying that, I was seeing a lot of boutique fitness studios opening. I was seeing a conversation shifting around yoga for the mainstream, meditation for the mainstream, apps like Headspace were launching and in their early first days, people were more cognizant of the food that they were putting in their body and the products that they were putting on their body. And as a result, some really cool new places were opening where you could go and eat healthy food and, you know, creation of products and entering into the supermarket chains were categories around free from and dairy alternatives, you know, just a prolific sense of information and education coming from online platforms around wellness. And it was brand new. And I could really see that a lot of these trends were coming from Australia and the US. And so it was at that point that I recognized that there was a sort of gap. It was an opportunity. And for somebody like me who was interested in this uh, intersection of wellness and business, it felt that there was not a community, that there was not an online portal for information, and that really I felt it was an opportunity for me at that time to create that. Great, Lauren. Thanks for taking us through your journey. Can you share your thoughts on what the challenges are in the wellness industry today? I would say that there's still a lot to be said around diversity in wellness. There's a perception that wellness is still an elite and in some ways inaccessible marketplace. There are aspects of eating organic food or exercising in the trendy fitness hotspots that are prohibitively expensive. And with sort of Um, more scalable concepts, that accessibility element shifts. But even when you look at the way that brands market to consumers, there's definitely a lack of diversity for minority groups. You have your sort of classic perception of, of what a wellness consumer looks like. And she's probably between the age of 20 and 30, white, thin, female, and probably quite affluent. And I think that's definitely been the pin-up girl for wellness for the last five to 10 years. And that is shifting. So there needs to be a 
more frequent conversation around accessibility from both a price point perspective, but also in terms of who that stereotyped audience um, or consumer stereotype is as far as a wellness consumer is concerned. And I think the secondary challenge is really off the back of what I was just saying as far as the broader impact of wellness from not just the individual's perspective, but also from the environment. So I say that because there are brands that are promoting the benefits of drinking turmeric, for example, and their packaging is non-recyclable plastic. And so you've got this paradox of this is good for you, but what footprint is it leaving on the planet? And um, what impact is it having for the next generation of of consumers or for our children or our children's children. And that's a challenge that ultimately will tie a brand back to its own values and keep it accountable for thinking not just about the commercial aspect of building a business, but also being purpose-led and finding that balance between profit and, and purpose. I believe there's an undercurrent right now of morality emerging, starting with individual awareness, um, a sense of accountability. Uh, We're seeing conscious consumerism, brands taking this very seriously. I take it as a great sign of hope, actually, for the future. Do you feel there's a growing awareness right now about personal behavior and how that translates into what's happening in society. What are you seeing? Can you comment on this? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think when we're constantly bombarded with discounted propositions in terms of fast fashion and fast food and fast everything, consumers do want convenience. And with convenience, there's a price to be paid quite often to the detriment of the environment. And I think that that fast consumerism does not lend itself to conscious consumerism. And that's where we need to really stop and slow down and think about the impact of our decisions in in that moment of hasty demand and, and consumption and think about the consequences of those purchasing decisions. So a great example is that there's definitely an undercurrent in the fashion industry and sort of publications that lead that conversation for the industry are definitely aware that brands like Zara or Topshop or H&M that have promoted this idea of fast fashion and constantly evolving consumer trends and responding to that um, online shops like ASOS adding 5,000 new items a week to their online stores Mm. is just perpetuating this mentality of a throwaway society of, you know, I want something new. I constantly want to be, I suppose, inspired by something new and social media perpetuates that as well because we're constantly comparing ourselves to people's accounts that we're scrolling through and thinking I want what they have. And if you just swipe up, you can buy right now. And that has to change. And for anyone even slightly aware of the climate crisis that we're facing, that mentality has to change. And there are some brands doing some really wonderful things around creating uh, more sustainable options, which is great because if they're not accessible, then we can't change the behavior. But I think there really needs to be quite systematic change that takes place in order for us as individuals to actually change our behavior 
And I think largely, as you've said, there's, there's murmurings of that conversation, but for the mass market, I don't think people really have any idea around how bad it actually is. It's a sobering topic. Okay, let's switch over to opportunities. What do you see ahead? To all of those points around challenges, there are also opportunities. There's a wonderful opportunity for opening up this conversation about our collective impact on the environment. There's a wonderful opportunity to bring more diversity to the wellness conversation. There's a wonderful opportunity for people to move out of an unconscious life where they go to work on a Monday morning to a job that they hate or to a job that provides no fulfillment to them to people who are stuck in relationships that are unhealthy or, or toxic, to people who make decisions about what and where they consume and or in what volumes to really be enlightened to a way of living that is fundamentally more joy-filled and that in which you can ultimately be happier. A healthy body is a happy body. An active body is less stressed, is less anxious. So there's some incredible opportunities with the businesses that are evolving in this space, as you said, for people who already have a strong skill set. If you're a marketeer and you work in an industry that does not inspire you, take those marketing skills and add them to the value set of a business that has the same values that you do. We see this all the time of people coming to us or coming to use the Well-To-Do Careers platform who are so passionate in their personal lives about well-being but have to wake up on a Monday morning to a job that they hate or that sucks the life out of them. And our desire is to show them that opportunities exist in this industry that is fast growing and that people are so receptive to for them to take that existing skill set and use it more effectively for an industry that they feel more authentically aligned to. And also that there are a lot of career opportunities in the space that are growing sectors. So nutrition, nutritional advice, you know, there are lots of people training in uh, fitness and, and yoga and meditation and looking at ways to add value to the corporate wellness sector. So I think ultimately the, the opportunities are endless from a career and a business perspective and that we're only going to see this industry continue to grow. A growing industry is great news and we surely know the need is there. I understand that nutritional psychiatry is going to be an area of growth. And while there is research pointing to the association between poor diet and mood disorders, depression, and anxiety. And by poor diet, we're including the traditional Western diet of highly processed foods. A significant report was published December 19th in the European Neuropsychopharmacology Journal showing further evidence that your food intake and the quality of your food have an impact on mental health, mood, and cognitive performance. And of course, we know there's an association between the brain and the gut. It was interesting to me to learn this year that abdomen actually means second brain. This sounds like something we're going to be hearing more about as more research unfolds. Lauren, what are you excited about for the future? Yeah, so I would have to say that it's the, the kind of personalization element of nutrition. Um, so 
Uh, as an example, I had a company reach out to me a couple of months ago um, that we're just launching here in the UK called Bionic. And for anyone interested, it's spelled B-I-O-N-I-Q. Okay. And what they do is they they send someone to your physical location, be that home or office. They take a blood sample. They send it to a lab where they analyze your blood in quite a lot of detail. And then they look at from that blood analysis what your deficiencies are on a very specific level. So you might have a deficiency in magnesium or vitamin D or, or B12. And you'll receive a full analysis of that and then a follow-up call with a nutritionist who gives you specific nutritional advice. And then two weeks later, you receive your personalized nutritional supplement. So that's taken as a scoop of granules with water morning and evening. And then a month from, from that date of taking that supplement, your blood is sampled again and they're able to actually measure and show through those indicators that your health has improved in um, each of those areas. And I think that what that changes is this sort of trial and error approach to well-being that we've been forced to accept to date because that technology has not been available to us. And now there are brands that are kind of bringing that access on mass. And it means that we don't waste money on supplements that we don't necessarily need. We have a measurable outcome, which we can see has made uh, improvements to our health and that ultimately we can optimize our health in ways that are efficient and financially more effective for us and, and ultimately yield a measurable outcome. And I think that changes for the consumer this notion of wellness being a vague, fluffy concept into something that is extremely measurable and extremely precise. And I think that's really exciting. That's great. It is super exciting. Did you actually do it? Yes, I did. Yeah. Did you find that to be helpful to you? Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, so I found it really helpful to give me measurable results and to then be able to have personalized advice around why those results are more optimal than the results that I had prior to taking the supplement. And I think that there's something quite empowering in that. Lauren, as a busy entrepreneur who is in the wellness industry, can you share some of your tips or practices for staying grounded and still getting it all done? Yeah, for sure. No problem. So I will certainly caveat this all by saying that I am not perfect. I have a pursuit of balance that in itself I take with a pinch of salt because I think that adding balance to our already chaotic to-do lists can be sometimes just as stressful as the pursuit itself. And so I think that the things that I've benefited from are probably four main areas so one would be finding ways to exercise that I enjoy and that are fun for me so there's no point in you know dragging yourself kicking and screaming to a gym if that is not a place that you feel inspired there's a sense of personal inquiry that happens there and and has for me and one of the things that I learned was that convenience was a big part of it for me. So I won't commit to regular exercise if it's inconvenient for me and it feels as though it's draining time out of my day. So I love being able to ride my bike to a meeting or to do something functional or to find you know, an opportunity to walk somewhere. 
For me, I found a little exercise studio that's really close to my house. So it's a five minute drive. And that makes it easy for me and easy to commit to. And there are so many great apps that allow you to, to work out at home. And I think that's helped a lot of people who found it difficult to go to a gym to actually commit to exercise in a way that is fun, inspiring and accessible. So that's one aspect. And the second is sort of a, a development on that idea of personal inquiry. So I've invested a lot over the years in coaching and development. So I myself have had, you know, numerous business coaches invested in numerous personal development programs and conferences and seminars. And I find those to be invaluable for myself in the pursuit of growing a business and building a team and being a leader and building an innovative company that I've had to break down a lot of beliefs that I have around my ability to succeed, my ability to be everything that I want to be and achieve in my life. For me, personal inquiry helps me to stay grounded because I have a better understanding of when I'm operating in a state of thinking instead of being and when I'm operating from a place of fear rather than from a place of gratitude or contentment. And that for me happens through journaling and reading and educating and seeking out support from qualified experts like coaches uh, and mentors. So my third thing would be would be meditation. So I have done a course in Vedic meditation, which I really enjoyed through the London Meditation Center. And over four days, you learn the tools and techniques to meditate on your own without reliance on an app. It's amazing. It means that anywhere you are in the world, any time of day, in any situation, you can sit and meditate on a mantra. And that for me just is a game changer. Physiologically, the benefits are extremely well documented and researched and I think for anyone who's tried meditation there's just no argument against its benefits you immediately feel more in control more relaxed more content more present and um, I've really benefited from that over the years and then I suppose the fourth one for me is just having great relationships I'm very lucky to be able to be working with my partner in the business. We're now growing the business together. We've got a great team. And I think that, you know, you can eat well, you can exercise, you can meditate. But if you don't have joy of being able to interact and give back and and be of service to others, then those things don't have meaning in the way that they do when you're attached to a group of people and a community and you're driven by shared, you know, shared objectives and shared ambitions. I'm really lucky through the work that I do to have cultivated a wonderful friendship circle of other very ambitious women and that I have, I'm lucky enough to be in a relationship with someone who's very supportive and, and honors my ambition as well. So I suppose that's my personal approach to wellness, which as I said at the beginning is not something I get perfect all the time, but is a work in progress for sure wanted to thank you for the opportunity for being on your podcast and for having such a, a wonderful conversation together. You're very welcome, Lauren, and thank you for being part of the Mindstream podcast. For listeners who are interested in the wellness scene or making it your career or building your existing wellness business, go to welltodoglobal.com and welltodocareers.com. With the new start of the new year coming up, you may like to look at your 2020 calendar and put some great well-being and mind-body-spirit events on there. 
Go to welltodoglobal.com slash events to see all their events beyond the Well-To-Do Summit to their Founders Series and Building a Wellness Brand. Well-Being in the West End happens the 11th and 12th of January, and those tickets are available on Eventbrite. The third edition of the Edinburgh Well-Being Festival is happening February 1 and 2. You can get tickets at edinburghwellbeingfestival.com. New this year is the Get Well Show happening in London at Olympia, February 21st through the 23rd. And it's brought to you by the team who publishes the website called What Doctors Don't Tell You. You may know Lynn McTaggart, who is behind What Doctors Don't Tell You in the Get Well Show. She is a best-selling author and a researcher into intention, spirituality, and new science. In fact, she's the author of The Power of Eight, if you know that book. I've read the book and I've participated in a Power of Eight intention circle for several months, and it was absolutely fascinating. And Lynn covers the science of that. The Wellness Summit also is happening in London on the 29th of February. You can find out about that on Eventbrite. Moving into March, on the 1st, the Holistic Ways Festival comes to the Edinburgh Corn Exchange. And in London, the Sleep Show focuses on the science and lifestyle practices that can help you sleep well and live happy. You can find details on that on Eventbrite. If you happen to be stateside, check out thebestuexpo.com. That event last year was in London, but this year it's in LA, March 20th and 21st. It's billed as the largest personal development gathering on the planet, and in 2021, it's going to return to London. But first and foremost, Mark your diary for January 1 at midday for the launch of Wellbeing Radio that's based right in Fife, Scotland. Head to wellbeingradio.co.uk for details and to listen. I'd like to say a very warm thank you to my guests, Katie Lomas of Come on Canning Street, Angela Robertson of the Edinburgh Wellbeing Festival, Adrian Boiteau of Holistic Ways Festival, Linda Hamilton Parker of Holistic Scotland Magazine, and Lauren Arms of Well to Do Global for joining the Mindstream podcast to talk about the local, national, and international scene. The Mindstream podcast is put on by MindstreamConnect.com. Thank you for listening. This is Liza Haran, signing off with love and light. Music